You're listening to No Filter, a 2FM collective podcast. Hello, I'm Louise Makshari and welcome to No Filter. This is the podcast that features extraordinary women with extraordinary stories. In this episode, I speak to Maeve Higgins. Maeve Higgins is from Cove in West Cork, but these days she's based in New York City, the biggest of big smokes. She's a stand-up comedian, writer, and the host of Maeve in America Immigration IRL, a podcast which tells the stories of people who emigrate to the United States. I was delighted to get to meet Maeve recently to ask her loads of questions about how she's getting on and what it's like to be in America during these difficult times. But first, I wanted to ask her what made her go in the first place. Well, I always had this romantic idea about like living in New York and being a writer. I lived here in Dublin. I lived for like 12 years and I was working away and it just did feel small. But like, that's really lovely too. Like, it's funny being back here because the smallness is really comfortable too you know but definitely career-wise the opportunities weren't here for me and the things that I wanted to do and like I don't mean to sound like whatever but because I know I had my own show like I'm not complaining I'm not complaining Louise <laughs> whatever God happens forbid you should complain don't think I'm complaining but just the sheer size of you know London or New York compared to Dublin when you're talking like about me working in the media there's a big difference now that said I didn't really get on well in London so I don't know why <laughs> I didn't really get much work and I was really kind of down and I just was like writing in my room which you can do anywhere mm-hmm. I mean it was nice like to have the anonymity and the and like when I say anonymity the anonymity you get in London or New York I don't mean that like people would be like oh I know you from Instagram or whatever I mean that like any Irish person gets when they go there anyone from any small place feels that in those big cities I think it's just the sense that you're like oh my I can do whatever I want you know it's uh, very liberating Mrs McCartney from down the road is not going to be here telling my mom that I was wearing a pink dress or whatever Yeah. yeah and it's funny because I don't even know that that happens that much here but like there's just this mental break that happens where you're like oh I'm really free here I don't know that it's even that logical honestly because like Dublin is now a really big city like I I walked around yesterday and I was like oh I didn't see anyone I knew because <laughs> like <laughs> normally I guess when I lived here I'd always be like oh that's the waitress from there and that's you yeah. know like he scored at my friend you know just, yeah. just all this familiarity so I don't know that that stands up I don't know if it's like in Edna O'Brien's time when she like had to leave the small you know like yeah. but it definitely mentally was helpful for me like with my writing and my comedy to just felt much more free and was you know to be away So New York is where you ended up after your your stint in London which yeah. didn't work out so well for you, you Just yeah. I, I remember reading your stuff at the time it just seemed like you just weren't happy I just wasn't happy yeah yeah, yeah. there was like mice in my house and stuff yeah well listen I mean if that's not a reason to leave a country I don't know what is I burned it down <laughs> you were dead right so you ended up in New York and so tell me about starting new in New York did you know people yeah I did I mean so it was three and a half years ago now so I had a manager there which is useful for for work stuff I wasn't going over from scratch my friend had a room in his apartment and so I was kind of set up when I went there a lot of my friends who were doing comedy there that I had met like on the 
the festival circuit, they had moved to Los Angeles, which keeps happening. I think people in comedy always end up there. And that's because that's where TV and... Exactly. Yeah. Writing jobs are and TV jobs and it just seems like a very natural path that people take. Would you like to end up there? No, I wouldn't really. I don't mind it. I've been there a couple of times. I mean, I like I'm writing a book now and the podcast and that's all works out better for me in New York. I did do some taping on the West Coast because that's like a huge immigration hub, obviously. But I prefer this New York. Yeah, definitely. So for people who aren't familiar with the podcast, you do a podcast that is all about immigration yeah I mean hot topic sounds like a disgusting way to describe it but like it is a hot topic um, yeah obviously because of Trump's palava during the election yeah he, um, he ran on a really anti-immigrant ticket yeah like he announced his campaign by like saying terrible things about Mexican people and then talking about the Muslim registry this is all like a year ago when he you know was running and then we our show just came out the week after he was elected. It was in the news a lot and it was on people's minds and it was a big reason that he got elected was that he is, you know, anti-immigration and that's just a popular sentiment at the moment. What did it feel like to be in America working with people who had immigrant stories and immigrants yourself when he won that election? Yeah, well, being an immigrant myself, I think because I'm white and I'm Irish, like it's it's really different story you know like on St. Patrick's Day over there it was demented because you know Enda Kenny was over and a lot of Trump's cabinet were making a big deal of their Irish heritage (laughs) so like they're fine with Irishness (laughs) and they love whiteness but as for the other question like meeting people who like of course I talk to Syrian asylum seekers and Iraqi translators and you know yeah, it's, it's horrible for them. Like, it's really personal. I'm glad to have a platform that I can hear their stories and share their stories. I think that makes me at least feel a bit better. Whether or not it does anything, I don't know. Do you have a guilt around the fact that technically you're an immigrant, but you're not viewed in the same way as the people that you're meeting? Yeah, um, there was like a cool piece in The New Yorker about like white guilt, because like obviously being white in America is very freighted, you know, like it was it talked about like white debt as opposed to white guilt, because like guilt is like so it sounds so kind of like helpless and passive or something. The way I look at it is accepting that you get a lot of privilege for being white and and trying to understand that and remember that and then use that instead of just being like, oh, but like, what can I do? Or like, my family didn't own slaves or whatever yeah. it is, you know, or like so many people just don't even believe it. Like that being white gives you all of this access to things that like people of color don't have. But I believe it. I can see it. Like, it's very obvious. Yeah. Well, I think it's particularly glaring in America. You know, I lived in America for 10 years as a kid and as a teenager, so I'm not expert, but I have seen it firsthand. And mm-hmm. I think anyone who visits America has seen it firsthand. But I suppose we're we're starting to have that conversation in Ireland as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we are a multicultural society now and we've got now, you know, generations of people who are all different colours, mm-hmm. who are Irish and sound the exact same as the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And we are having to talk about race now in a different way, I think, in Ireland. Have you seen any of that while you've been away and then when you've been coming home? I think you're right. Like, it's funny because I think Ireland being a predominantly white country, we tend to think like, oh, we're normal, <laughs> like, that, like w- <laughs> that we're not even a race. You know, yeah. like we're just normal. And so I think it's good to now that that you said it is getting more multicultural here that like we can be like, oh, we are a race. You know, it's not like that person is black and, you know, it's like I'm white. When I was a kid, I lived in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. So like I think that was pretty 
good to be like, oh, now I'm a minority. I just think it's going to be interesting to see how we develop and whether or not we repeat some of the mistakes that have been made in other countries um, Mm -hmm. in terms of whether or not we truly mix, you know, which I think is the healthiest thing. Obviously, I think that it's important that people maintain their culture and celebrate their culture and, you know, communities are important. But I also think that it's important that people aren't isolated in those communities. Direct provision is the most well, yeah. isolating way of introducing people to the country. It's, it's really cruel and it's really like, how can you expect somebody to make a life here under those circumstances? I think that's really asking a lot of a new person. And I think as well, like the question of like Syrian refugees, like we're so close actually to Syria, like physically. And, you know, all these people are waiting in Greece to come over and we've agreed to take 4,000 people by the end of this year. And it's only been like 1,600 people have come through. And like 4,000 out of 5 million displaced people, like I'm already on my high horse, like you can hear it. (laughs) But I do, it's crazy how little an effort we make. And like, I don't want to be like, the government need to step up. I feel like they're like busy. It's hard. It's not easy. Like, but also I'm wondering about the public. Why aren't we being more like, where are the Syrians? Like we have to help them. I think about that a lot uh, in terms of why are we, and I, and I would speak about myself personally, why am I not doing more, you know, about the things that concern Well, that's me. what I wanted to confront you about today. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I'm like, you know, and then some days I'm like, well, Louise, you know, you can't do everything. And then other days I'm like, no, that's bullshit like right. you know you absolutely could be doing more and then sometimes I'm like you know what life is hard and then other days I'm like no Louise you're lazy um, yeah. and it's an ongoing battle I have with myself I do think that there is a factor I think people are there's so much at the moment it feels mm-hmm. like I think it feels like we're being kind of lambasted with bad news and terrible things that are happening and I think sometimes that leads to like a fatigue almost mm-hmm. um, and and like that sounds ridiculous because how lucky are we to be like oh I just no, it's no. just too much but I, I do yeah. think that that's a thing yeah I do I think so too I mean I think that's proven like again and again if there's like a huge story about Syria one week and then the same the same number of civilians are killed the following week and it's just not in the paper sure. or like you just can't bear to read it. I try and put aside two hours a week, which is like so tiny. It's such a tiny amount of time to like do something about an issue that I'm concerned with. And that at least clears it out of my head and I'm not just left feeling this like kind of helplessness and like being upset and thinking that there's nothing I can do. It's like just like do something small. I don't really think it's good enough to be like everything is really hard because like it's not like it's you know where I'm okay like I'm talking about myself like so I should be doing something I don't know what it's like for everybody else but that's for me no I I think you're right I think you're right and and I think I need to do more and I will do more (laughs) thank you Maeve this confrontation has been successful um do you love New York yeah I mean it's kind of rough like some when I'm home I'm like oh my god everyone's like lifestyle is so lovely you know there's so many nice coffee shops and like people are near their families and there it's like you put up with a lot so that you can live there the air is like bad (laughs) but you're like but I live in New York you know you need to be competitive I think Mm -hmm. you can't just like easily live there and speaking of competitive and ambitious and and I think this is an important thing to talk about because I think in Ireland we can get a bit bogged down in like you know well this is just where we are the idea of going to somewhere like New York London maybe but like the idea of going to somewhere like New York or LA and like making your career work there just seems so crazy (laughs) and you just kind of assume no that would never work but you have really made it work how (laughs) did you do it? But wait though so many people have done that though I didn't feel scared about it I was just more like oh we'll just see what happens and 
I think that like what was like more scary to me was like not trying. So what I'm saying is like I wasn't brave. (laughs) Like the brave thing for me would have been to like stay here and like see it through and like but I was like no I'm gonna go I'm gonna leave. You know it's like people who say like doing stand-up is brave but I'm like well I'm not scared of it so it's not brave for me. Like what would be brave for me would be being a teacher because I hate responsibility. Okay yeah I get it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And and I think as well that uh, I didn't have a clear plan so that maybe helped me too. Like I wasn't like I need to get on this show or like do this thing. I was just like I'm just going to see and I'm going to follow my curiosity. I definitely took a financial hit and like and you know here when I come home I can get on whatever show and I can do and that's really cool but I definitely can't over there mm. so like it's an ego whatever the opposite of an ego boost is yeah. an ego downer <laughs> yeah. yeah those things weren't as important to me as like following where my curiosity mm. led me and that's I understand such a privileged thing to say like because I don't have a mortgage I don't have kids like I have that freedom to do that and I have the confidence to do that so I'm lucky Mm -hmm. like very lucky so I don't want to belittle it but at the same time it would have been harder for me to stay here definitely do you have any sense of being like watched by people in Ireland you know to see kind of what you're up to or, <laughs> no. like I remember when you were on Inside Amy Schumer that was like a big thing because Amy Schumer was so hot right then yeah 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 and everybody was like oh my god you guys Maeve Higgins was on Amy oh. Schumer's show like yeah. I remember that being a thing that's cute yeah I always feel like this family sense from like the whole of Ireland yeah. which is like <laughs> you know once I was doing shows in Wellington in New Zealand and I was crossing the road and like a guy was crossing against me and he was like we're proud of you Miv <laughs> and I just was so blown away like I was so far from home and it was also like something that my dad would say quietly and like sometimes it's kind of like any family it's like annoying you know yeah. like it's like this love but it's like conditional whenever I do things with well-known and respected men I get like surprise on like Irish Twitter like I've been doing a show with John Ronson right who's yeah. like a English journalist well he's Welsh whatever very and well respected yeah, yeah much loved like you know writer and he wrote Psychopath Test and he wrote like this film Frank and stuff and we've been doing a show together for three years still sometimes when Irish people hear about it they're like oh my god John Ronson you're so lucky Maeve what are you doing with John Ronson and it's like I'm being his colleague well, you are working with very cool people and I have to say as this is a podcast and you do a podcast and we are all podcast fans you're hanging out with Starly Kine and she is (laughs) adored by Irish people the Irish podcast fans anyway after the mystery show yeah she's yeah she's brilliant and like she helped actually with my podcast at the beginning and just to frame it a bit she's brilliant at story but yeah like I think that's a reason that I went there too you know I think that I worked with some brilliant people in Ireland and then I was like okay there's only so many people to go to New York you have access to people who are working really at the top of their game and it would be stupid not to to try and learn from them like why wouldn't I try and get to know her work as opposed to like someone who's like three rungs down or whatever because it's like I think it probably is female to do with being female like I'm certain that that's why people are like what are you doing with Neil deGrasse Tyson and it's like well he's you know in my case he's my boss like and I work for him and I'm his co-host 
and that's my job like that's what I've been doing for 11 years <laughs> that's what I work as yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> I know it's so yeah. weird but it's funny actually like I don't see that same reverence even like it's cool that you mentioned Starly Kine because she's like a radio hero of mine but like as is Sharon Horgan and yeah. uh, not for radio but for, for writing and performing she's Ugh. like out of control and I saw this thing that's like this is now complaining she was in town for some TV festival last year and somebody tweeted I don't remember who somebody tweeted like a picture of the audience that came to see Sharon Horgan speak predominantly women and I was like why yeah just because she's a woman like it's bizarre it is bizarre yeah because she is at the top of her yeah like no one is better than her I I don't think and I'm sure there's loads of like comedians and TV TV writers like men here who like wouldn't hold a candle to her but they can't even go and bring themselves to listen to her speaking yeah and you probably could have had some like mediocre guy who wrote one episode of something okay and it would have been full of men yeah oh Oh my god can you imagine if Graham Linnan came over (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that actually (laughs) well I I don't want to keep you too long but um, while we're on the subject of gender I wanted to talk about women in comedy and I'm sure you're sick of talking about it but the reason that I wanted to talk to you specifically about it is because Alison Spittle has said so many times over the years that you were really kind to her <sighs> and really encouraging to her when she was starting out um, well I didn't think comedy. she was going to get so famous <laughs> <laughs> yeah she is doing really well like, isn't she yeah she's doing great take her out Maeve <laughs> I just did shows with her this weekend we did one show together and I'm a really big fan of hers yeah. I find her so funny so lovable you know on stage like and off stage of course she's really she's a little bitch <laughs> no, she's, <laughs> she's cool she's great but but yeah she has said that you were a great support to her and I think it was last year she made a real effort to try and encourage women to get into comedy she held workshops and oh, you know wow. she really went beyond the call of duty like way beyond Mm -hmm. because she believes that rightly I think that there are lots of women who would be amazing stand-up comedians but who just aren't getting into it why do you think that is I think the reasons like a woman wouldn't do comedy is that like it's a pretty rough lifestyle it's you know like late night like tough enough like it's not like a pleasant thing to do I think the expectations are that it would be a man on stage because that's how it's always been. So it's just a bit harder. Like it's it's just like that little barrier there too. And as well, like so many people that do stand up, like it's not really anything to do with being funny or not. I think sometimes stand ups are funny and that's brilliant when that happens. But often they have like some other reason for getting on stage you know to to prove something or that they just need to be amplified <laughs> and women don't seem to have that as much like mm-hmm. that need for this kind of control or this form of expression I don't really know what it is it's nothing to do with being funny or not obviously but I share Alison's I wish there was more like it's such a relief like when you do a show and it's just like somebody saying what you feel men can do that too like sometimes Uh but comedy has traditionally just been like a pretty misogynistic field so it's like why would you it's intimidating I think I have never seriously considered stand-up comedy but it does feel very male but you know if there were all female nights I think I would be more likely to maybe give it a go and I'm sure lots of other women feel the same yeah but then you don't want to do the kind of all-female thing because that seems kind of tokenistic I mean I did it all women line up at the festival this weekend and it was remarkable because usually there's so many times it's an all-male lineup or I'm the only woman on the lineup so this was like actually a real treat 
right mm. but I, I do think that maybe when I was starting out 10 years ago I used to hate talking about this stuff mm. I was like I'm no different I don't yeah. know what it's like to be a guy or a girl it doesn't even matter I feel like when you're living in such a patriarchal society you don't really see it because it's everywhere and also you kind of like hope right and you're like surely my colleagues and the people who could give me jobs like they're not th- seeing me as a woman but then you like wake up to it so I think when you do things like all women shows are really valuable and I think as well mentoring is really valuable but as well stand-up is only one route into comedy and like so many women have proven like all these workarounds where you don't have to do this quite brutal (laughs) confrontational thing like you know Sharon Horgan like writing and acting and people do character stuff people make their own videos people just like have funny Instagrams like there's tons of ways in if there was someone listening then who thinks they would like to work in comedy but maybe they're a little bit scared and by someone Mm. I mean a woman um yeah what what do you think would be a good first step If you want to do live performances, I think booking a show in your hometown, you know, like a room over a pub or if you're in a college, like doing a college gig and all you need is like 15 people. So like get friends, get family, set yourself a deadline that you're going to get up on stage. You're going to do five minutes. That's all you need to do, really. I think make videos with friends. Like I think definitely having a peer group because you'll encourage each other. And just, uh, I would say, like, start. It's If it's an itch, you know you have it and you just have to scratch it. So just, just start. Trust your gut. Definitely trust your gut. And that goes for, like, what you think is funny too. It's like whatever is funny to you, I promise, will be funny to the audience. Like, I think people are like, oh, sorry, no, I think that's, but this is stand-up. So I need to kind <laughs> of crowbar it into, like, yeah. sounding like so-and-so or whatever. But just know that, like, whatever you think is funny is, is definitely going to be funny to people. Well, before I let you go, what do we have to expect from you now in the next little while? You mentioned a new book. Yeah, I'm just working on a new book for um, Penguin in America. I was like selling my book over there and I have two books already here in Ireland. Um, And I was like, hey, do you want like the best of both of these books? And like, wouldn't that be so fun for the American market? (laughs) And then they were like, no, but do you want to write a new book? And I was like, okay. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't. You can't. No, I can't. I mean... The thing but is, that's an appropriate feeling to have. I know, having oh written God, a book, it's the worst. Yeah, it is the worst, the actual worst. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a bit like childbirth, though, because you oh, yeah. hate it the entire time. Like you hate it, you hate it, you hate it, and then you have your book, and then you're like, oh, I, uh, I could do that again. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, but you do. And then I think, as soon as you decide that you're doing it, then you're like, this was a terrible mistake. <laughs> no. Yeah. Wait, do you think you'll work in another book? I have a book in my brain. Like cool. I just need to actually yeah. put it down on paper. And um, yeah. that may not happen anytime in the next five years because yeah, yeah. I have a human leech yes. who relies on me. And, and he's not. By that I mean my not. baby. <laughs> It'd be funny if you're like my husband <laughs> but yeah it yeah he's not going to help you with no, that book probably he's not helpful at all I loved reading like Anne Enright wrote a whole book about motherhood yeah. maybe it was even I don't know what it's called I actually have it at home and I haven't read it yet because I can't read because I have a baby because you have it's so funny it's a life ruiner it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking forward to reading it when, yeah. when I get around it's to really it. good it's really it's really different to our other stuff too and it's really good so we have the book is coming and then yeah. more, more Maven in America yeah yeah I don't know when that's going to come out now but I'm home now for like two weeks and then yeah my main thing is the book I'm like not allowed to think about anything else because my deadline is coming I understand so yeah the book and then just like complaining great to lovely women on podcasts well it's my favourite thing to do so thank you so so much thanks Louise 
The Collective. 2FM.